Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Mastermind. Please join me as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports, from top football managers, club chairmen, sports psychologists, and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture, and leadership. Next up, I'm proud to introduce someone who's played and coached at the very highest level in his sport. He's one of New Zealand's favourite All Blacks. He's an incredible man, and this is work in mental health that's not only been impactful and inspiring, but it's saving lives. Please welcome Sir John Kerwin. JK, it's great to speak to you. And right now you're over in Auckland. Yeah, I am. It's uh, day before Christmas, Anthony. It's bloody good to hear from you, mate, actually. Yeah, you We too. spent a bit of time together when we uh, when you were down here. But, um, yes, I'm getting ready for Christmas. Our, our Christmas is like, um, like, a northern, like a northern August. So the sun is shining out there. Yeah, it's a bit overcast today, but I had a had a surf yesterday, so I'm pretty happy. Right, good. <laughs> so, JK, tell us what, what's your right now? Just what's your day to day work involving now? Uh, yeah, I have sort of three things going on. I've got a uh, JK Foundation, and the foundation basically is trying to create a curriculum in the schools for mental health. Um, so, when I suffered my uh, mental health issues while I was playing, my reference to mental health was one flow of the cuckoo's nest, you know. Um, I was too scared to talk to someone because I thought they'd come around in a, in a white van, put me in a straitjacket and lock me up with, uh, you know, the big American Indian guy and Jack Nicholson. So, and that was a real fear, man. That was a real, real fear. You know, I can laugh about it now in retrospect, but back then that was a real fear and that drove me away from talking to people for five years. So um, it's still, I don't believe our education of our youngsters around mental health is where it should be. So the JK Foundation is creating money to try and um, get the IQ of mental health up, meaning we need to teach everyone about mental health like we do physical health. And we need to um, make sure through that understanding, I believe they'll get better EQ, so they'll get better emotional intelligence. So that's one thing that I'm doing. The second thing that I'm doing is I've created a company called Mentimia. So Mentimia is a program that looks after the mental health of the workers. So what we want to try and do is make everybody a little better every day. So the, the tools that I learned through going through my depression, um, I think people need in everyday life now. So what we want to be able to do is to deliver that program through the workplace and that the workers get a tool that is going to help them with their everyday mental health. So that's called Mentimia. We've raised some seed money and we are, we've got 22 people, way more intelligent than me, Anthony, <laughs> way, way more intelligent than me, um, you know, working on this project. So that's really, really exciting. We're growing very quickly. We've got five foundation members here in New Zealand and we've built the product. Um, the, the first product is out in the market, but not how we want it. 
and our uh, minimal lovable product will be out in early uh, March. And what we're hoping is that um, you know we'll be able to get companies to uh, gift it to their employees, and then their employees can understand themselves, understand their mental health, and then have the tools to really help them you know, get better every day. I mean, this is a pandemic around the world. 800,000 people committed suicide last year um, around the world. So mental health is a real issue and, uh, you know, it's something that I'm really passionate about. The third thing that I'm doing is, obviously, I do a lot of ambassador work. I work for um, Westpac Bank. I work for the Giltrap Group and I go in and do their mental health. I also work for a company called Evolution Health and they've just, uh, uh, just opened private mental health hospitals here in, uh, in New Zealand that I'm really, 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 really happy to say. I mean, our system in New Zealand is clogged because of the need, so there's no alternatives. So, you know, mental health is not prejudice, mate. It will affect, you know, everyone. It's not prejudice. So we have opened this uh, world-class, world-changing clinic in New Zealand. We hope to open them right throughout the country. So that's, uh, that's what's getting me out of bed. Anthony, I'm doing a little bit of work for um, for Sky Television, and I saw you on on BN Sports the other day. So I'm still keeping my hands in the game of rugby, which I love, by doing some commentaries and going to games and stuff. Well, I have to say, my time in New Zealand and, and since I've left New Zealand, I've, I've been totally blown away, really, really inspired by your work in this area in, in mental health. Mental health as we know, affects everyone in all walks of life, in and out of sports. But what I'm really would, would love to talk more about is your, you know, where this journey all began, because I think your experience as an All Black um, and, and your openness to talk about this is so, so useful for coaches, but even players, you know, young players, players nowadays to hear this. Uh, I would love to, I would love to know, I would love to know more about yeah, and, and Anthony and coaches, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I try and say is everyone has mental health. And so, like we've got physical health, I'm very, very concerned for the elite athletes in the world as well because I think, you know, there's a high risk of, of athletes suffering some sort of mental health when they retire. I mean, the stats aren't great in American football, um, and, you know, just recently we've had, you know, a couple of professional soccer players or football players, um, you know, taking their own lives. It's not easy when you stop playing, you know. And JK, just, what happened, just, I just want to add what, on that as well. You, you find it in, certainly in England, a lot of these professional footballers now are earning a fortune. As soon as they stop playing, they're, they're divorced, they're broke, they're in trouble. Depression. Yeah, look, and I think... Um, and I think that's all, that's all part of mental health. You know, you need to understand, we need to teach them financial um, literacy, which is something that I didn't have um, when I was playing. Um, we need to teach them that, well, the phone stops ringing and you actually sacrifice a whole lot of your friendships from your youth. You, get, you walk into a whole lot of new mates, uh, but that might change five or six times across your career you spend most of the time with your teammates, but then when you retire, they carry on and you go back to where you were. Not only that, you lose a little bit of your self-worth because most of your friends are 10 or 12 years into their career. 
or they're doing other stuff, and it's like starting again. Um, you know, it's like being the rookie again. It's like being the apprentice again, and that's really, really hard to do. And, um, you know, a lot of those problems you attach to your self-worth, um, your self-confidence. And a couple of things that, um, that depression and anxiety and mental health does, the three things that it, that it took away from me, took away my self-esteem, took away my, my uh, self-confidence, and it took away my enjoyment of everything in life. And that's three important things for your well-being. So for me, um, what I'd love to do, part of Mentor Mia, and we can't do it until we're a little bit further down the track, is I, I want to talk to some of the, the big clubs and get, um, you know, Mentor Mia and make sure we make it for elite sports people, give them the understanding of what mental health is. I mean, when I first, I would not um, reach out, right? And it wasn't until I was lying in a bed in Argentina on an all-black tour on the 10th floor, the window was open, and I wanted to run and jump out because I was sick and tired of fighting this thing in my mind. I was sick and tired of having anxiety attacks. I was sick and tired of, of my life as it was, and yet I was playing for the All Blacks, you know. Jake, Jake very, very... Sorry, sorry, Jake. So what, so what type of thoughts were... So you're playing for the All Blacks. What type of thoughts were you having? Uh, well, my... Well, I was an anxiety-based depression, right? So I was having... During my career, I was having anxiety attacks, right? Um, so if anyone's had an anxiety attack, it's just pure and utter fear. Now, mine were around all sorts of random thoughts. You know, I was scared one day to drive my car because I was scared I was going to drive it off the bridge or drive it into someone, right? Um, I was scared of these thoughts. Now, these thoughts, what would happen is I'd grab them and I'd, and I'd run with them and they'd turn into, like, being a reality. And that would drive me to be shaking, right? So I had so much tension inside my mind that I'd end up, it'd, it'd end up come out and shaking, and that would drive me to bed. And I'd have all these really, really bad thoughts. Um, I also felt like I was an imposter. So I, uh, I, did, I was waiting for people to find out that I'm not that good. When are they going to drop me from the All Blacks? Why am I here? So I had a whole lot of those self-doubts as well. Um, so those things were always, always in my mind. Now, what happened is they would come randomly and instead of understanding what an anxiety attack was was I would put it in the back cupboard of my mind but invariably it'd leave a little bit of a scar so if anyone who's suffered from anxiety what happens is you're waiting for that anxiety to come back so you live in constant tension um, depression for me was I woke up one day basically it just never left me Right, so that anxiety feeling, that feeling of fear, that feeling of lack of confidence, um, you know, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-worth, just didn't leave me. And so I was fighting this and hiding it as well. So I'm hiding it from everyone, but playing rugby for my country. So I'd had enough, and and I explain it like this: when you're in there, a minute feels like an hour, an hour feels like a day and a day feels like a week. So you're just constantly tired and constantly living this, this outward lie because you're hiding your true emotions. But my biggest fear was, like I said to you before, I had no reference to mental health. 
So I seriously thought I was going crazy. And that was a big fear and an anxiety in itself. Um, so, you know, I'd had, I'd had enough. I'd had enough um, and wanted to jump out of a window in Argentina. And the guy lying next to me um, said at the time, and he doesn't know why, and we talk about it quite a lot, um, he must have just sensed that I wasn't well. He said, JK, you've got a good heart. And that was Michael Jones, Sir Michael Jones, who was one of the greatest players to ever play for the All Blacks. So I said to myself, I didn't, you know, he just said that randomly, and I didn't admit to being unwell at that time. I just didn't jump out the window. Um, so I spent the next sort of 48 hours saying to myself, JK, you've got a good heart. JK, you've got a good heart. Played a test match the next day against Argentina and scored two tries. That was irrelevant. Um, and then I, I, when I got home, I reached out and spoke to my doctor. You know who my doctor was? My doctor was Dr. John Mayhew, who was the all-black doctor. But I wouldn't go and see him on tour about this. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This is the same guy that's jamming, I'm bloody jamming 200 milligrams, 300 milligrams of Voltaren down my throat to get on a footy paddock, but I'm not prepared to go and talk to the doctor about my mental health. Ridiculous in retrospect. Right, so anyway, I, I finally got home and um, reached out to him. He explained what it was, which was a relief in itself. And then I went and saw a psychiatrist. And it was really, really interesting. So um, the psychiatrist, um, you know, I was so embarrassed I booked an hour before my hour and an hour after, right, which is crazy. But anyway, I go in and I sit down. She goes, oh, rugby player, eh? I said, yeah, yeah, rugby player. And she said, uh, what would you do if you had a tight hamstring? I said, well, I'd stop and stretch it. She said, okay, she says, you stopped and stretched it. Then you get up and you, you, know, you start running and it gets really, really tight. What would you do? And I said, well, I'd stop. I said, go and see the physio. You know what she said to me? Your brain's no different, you dick. And I thought, wow, that is so true. So I had a hamstring in the in the head, and that was called anxiety and depression, right? What did I do about it? Well, I tried alcohol, right, for a little while as the ice. But that gave me relief for like two hours one evening, but then you go back 100 miles the next day, so I knew that wasn't the option. Um, so I had to find out what the ice was, and I had to find out who the physio was, right? So once she put it in simple rugby terms for me, I could accept it a wee bit more, and then I went on this journey of, of um, you know, trying to find out what my ice was and, um, you know, trying to find the best physios around that are going to help me with my mind, of which I did both, and now I'm in an incredibly good space. J.K., do you want to go back to when you was a, when you was a player, we obviously met when you were coaching the Auckland Blues, but w with all your experience now and what you know about mental health, your experience as a coach, as a player, how would you coach? How would you coach you back back in the day? You know, how would you have built a relationship with a player like yourself? How would you identified this type of issue? And then how? What would you have done? How would you have started the process of trying to help? Now, what would you have done? I think I'd openly talk about it as a thing, right? I'd openly talk about... We often talk about performance anxiety, and I think that's a bit of a start. Um, you know, you talk to most players and they'll go, oh, you know, I can 
you know, some weeks I train really well and then, you know, I don't play as well because I'm worried about this and worried about that. So if we start with performance anxiety as a thing and start teaching our players how to deal with performance anxiety and how to cope with the anxiety of playing, and then we just need to broaden the, the discussion. So the discussion needs to be, this is a thing, you know, like we talk, how often do we talk tactics? How often do we talk, um, uh, you know, about the opposition? How, how many videos do we watch? How many trainings do we have a week? How many times do we mention mental health? Zero. Where it's a real thing. It's just like any other party. But every single person in this world has mental health like they have physical health. But if you think about the percentage of times you as a coach, Anthony, and me as a coach have actually spoken about mental health, how often would that be? Zero? Yeah, JK zero, yeah, zero. 0.1. Yet, how many players have you seen um, that, you know, are unbelievably good at training, but they suffer on game day and they're not quite as good on game day? That's, that's performance anxiety. That's anxiety. That's coming from somewhere. So what we need to be able to do, I believe, is put it in our week. Um, you know, I always remember reading a great book, um, I think it was called Five, The Five Rings by Bulls Coach. It was just a, an amazing book where he brought a little bit of difference to the team, you know, through, through uh, meditation and all that sort of stuff. Meditation is amazing because meditation is actually a way to keep your balance for your mental health, right? But in, So to answer your question, I would just make it and have made it part of the conversation. I was very lucky in New Zealand because people knew that I suffered from mental health. So anyone who had mental health didn't worry about coming to talk to me about it. But we need to make it part of the weekly conversation like you would any other subject, right? Um, we all have sports psychs now and we all, um, we all look at every part of performance. But as the sports psychologist talking about the whole human or just the performance side. So, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Um, and a lot of the time, the, the, the problem with sports people is they, they don't suffer until they've finished their career because it's a pretty good life while they're living it. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, there's all the, the players that don't make it as well. The players actually that have given everything and sacrificed and then don't make it or make it to a level, then drop out. You know, there's a huge con psychological consequence there as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, you know, I don't believe in failure. Um, failure, failure nearly killed me because I was so worried about it. Um, so I just eliminated it from my, from my diary and from my dictionary and from everything because, for me, the most important thing about young sports people is what is actually not making it, you know? Um, and I often have these discussions with my three children who are sports people. There is no such thing as not making it. There's getting to the best level you can, right? And if you can do that, then you can be happy. If you get to a level and your mental health holds you back, you'll regret that later on and it'll eat at you. But if you are well and you only make amateur grade or you only make um, third division or second division or, you know, you come fourth in the championship, that's not failure. That's in the game having a go, right? Um, so for me, that's the most important thing.
to say to people, if you are physically fantastic, if your skills are up to the best they can be, and you're mentally really, really well, then if your limit is third division, then that's okay. Then you have to start making some other decisions. You know, can, can I need a career outside this. Is it enough money for me to get ahead if I play to 35? They're just other decisions around it, right? And I think that if you put those three things together, but we normally don't, do we? You know, how many players have you seen, Anthony, where you think, you know, this guy could go right to the top, but they don't? Why don't they? You know, why don't they? Would it be... You know, it's either going to fall into one of those three categories. Gee, he's a great player, but he's just a bit slow. Or, gee, he's a great player, but just his skills are letting him down. Or, he's a great player in both those things, but mentally he just doesn't front up on game day. You know? But how often do we do we actually really dig into that, you know, the mental side? J- JK, so you, as, a, as a player, you've you've become aware of this. You've, you've, you've gone out and seeked help as a player. So, so you're, you're at the end of your playing career, now you're... Now you're 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 gaining a lot more self-awareness. You're 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 able, you're now able to to really understand this and 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 have a, le- a level of peace. I, w- I would imagine. Um, yep. So so now you now you're moving into uh, becoming a head coach, and you've had some really really big jobs uh, in, in the world of rugby in in some really tough environments. Did this experience help you as a coach? Did you have some of the same challenges going into a completely different different line of work, really, in terms of being a player to a coach? So how, how, how did this translate to your, your coaching role? Well, I think that if you break it down into those three things, I think when you start out, when you've finished playing, as, you've, you, you know, if, as a player, if you had all those skills as, you know, to play your position, you don't have them as a coach. So you need to go through those skill sets and go, where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses? What do I need to cover myself with as far as assistants are concerned? Um, you know, so it takes a while to build up those those skills. And, you know, um, you've recently um, got the sack. I've had the sack three times, and it's probably the hardest thing um, you can ever deal with as a coach. I don't care what anyone says, you know, um, Ancelotti got the coach, got the sack a few weeks ago from Napoli, from, um, Napoli and it would have hurt. You know, I don't care what you say because most coaches that I know are passionate. Um, they care about the club, they care about the players and, you know, they want to do a good job. So anyone who gets the sack, it's, you know, it's, it's a devastating time. But, I think if you think about the three things that I spoke about before, the skills, so you've really got to work hard on those skills, right? Understand those skills, understand what it's what, what you need to be a good coach and keep working on those. That is a never-ending piece of strength. So, that's, so, so, that Jake, that's, so you're, you're basically talking about your development. You, you really got to look at your development as a development plan as your coach, as, as a coach, that's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a never-ending learning process you know you never stop learning as a coach and that's one of the reasons why I loved it because you you know as a person I never want to stop growing and you know you just keep growing learning understanding and which is really cool I think the second side of it is you know um, player management understanding people I think uh, you know to be a player you're a good team man but you are also 
quite self-centered and egotistical because you have to be. So, you know, if you played a good game, you came off, you felt good, you, you, you know, you're disappointed the team lost, you're worried about your teammates, but you move on and you sort out yourself and then you get into it. So as a coach, you then don't have that. You've got to start thinking about, you know, in rugby it's up to 44 players and in football I don't know how many you have, 20, 22, something like that. So you then start having to think about the psychology of everyone else and what makes people tick and how you're going to get this team together, um, you know, your players, your coaching staff. So you become also a bit of a, a you know, a, a, a psychologist on group <laughs> group people, right? And then I think the last, the last thing is how are you going to cope with the expectation and pressures on yourself as a coach at the highest level and how are you going to look after yourself to make sure that you're performing your best every day? And I was incredibly well mentally, but still I was suffering from pressure of performance, which was affecting the way I performed as a coach on the field. Um, JK, and that was an ongoing learning for me. Sorry, JK. In, in what, what, what did that look like? How did, how did it, how did it in, a, in, a, in a day-to-day basis? Is there an, an example you can give us on that? Um, yeah. I think that when I got under incredibly incredible pressure from, um, you know, especially with the Blues, you know, we, we had like seven straight losses in my third season. We're playing some of our best football. As a coach, I was incredibly happy playing some of our best football, um, but we wouldn't, we couldn't win. We're losing by a point, two points, three points. So, um, you know, we just couldn't win a trick. So as that pressure mounted, I was procrastinating. So um, the pressure came out in procrastination. I wasn't making some hard calls. Um, the second thing that happened was I was looking under every single rock trying to look for the answer. And some of those rocks I shouldn't even gone there or looked under. So if I could explain myself, what happens when you're losing is you try and find the answers everywhere. And sometimes that helps you lose focus on on the things that you need to do. So I couldn't find the answers, went looking for them everywhere instead of maybe just refining that a wee bit and concentrating on some of the bigger rocks. JK, you just mentioned a situation there. You know, when 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 the pressures when the pressure's really on to get a result, I think one one thing is key is your staff. Your staff are there to really help you, to be honest, to give you a to tell you the things you you really need to be told, uh, things that you may not necessarily be seeing. I've also exactly what you said. There, I've been, I've done the same things in the same situation, and it's really, really easy now from our position to look back in the cold light of day and to to understand what to do. But when you're in it, it's a lot more difficult. But what I'm what I'm curious about is uh, with all your experience now and and what you've learned. Looking back now, what would you have done differently? So if you're, if you're talking to other coaches and you're advising or even yourself going back in now, what would you have done differently in that same situation? I think I read a really – well, I, I used to invite coaches in to watch me train to get better. And I remember Sir Clive Woodward coming in one time um, and helping me when I was coaching the Italian national side. And he was amazing. Had an amazing week with him. He'd won the World Cup. 2003 and it was a great week for me because he taught me so many things on the field but off the field um, 
I think the thing that lasted with me, and I probably didn't do it in the end, Anthony, when I was under pressure, which is when you when you look back retrospectively, you've got to make peace with your mistakes because um, I'll haunt you. So I've made peace with this. But what he did is he, um, you know, he got someone to really analyse him and understand um, what happened to him when he was put under pressure. And I think you mentioned your staff before, and your staff fundamental, but they're under the pump as well. Um, so sometimes their vision gets narrowed. I think retrospectively what I would, would have done is had a real different approach to understanding how I was reacting to pressure and then make sure make sure that, um, that I don't make the mistakes under pressure that I did. So the only way, you know, like you said, we're all unbelievably fantastic retrospectively, <laughs> but that doesn't matter when you're seven games down you know, you know that that uh, you know the axe is coming down on you, and you need to be cool, calm, and collected. But if you're under pressure, you got you, you're gonna you're going to be making mistakes. So it's actually identifying those mistakes. The great thing about my mental health was, um, you know, I know when I'm under pressure in my personal life, and I can tone that back. I probably didn't nail that as well. As, as I should have while I was coaching. So I think if I was to do it again, I would have someone that would be coming in and just working with me to identify, you know, what, what my negatives are when I'm under pressure. And when I say negatives, you know, these are all positives because I just wanted to win. So I'm, like I said, I'm looking after under every rock. But the most important thing to do is find out where you're wasting your energy and what you can concentrate on that's going to help you that week. So, you know, I think for me, getting someone that comes in and understands you, can see the pressure, see where it's coming out, and let, let you refine that as you go. And, JK, what are some of the things you would, you would think about putting into place with regards to uh, showing up Every day is the best possible version of yourself as a leader. You know, self self care is absolutely critical. I believe as a, as a leader, uh, we've, we're talking about mental health. Other things you can do: going out for a run, meditating, whatever they are. But what what in those real high pressured moments? What are the things that you would advise to do to help yourself sharp every day as the best possible leader you can be? Yeah, look, I think those things mentally. You know. Um, I've got a monkey brain, um, Anthony. I don't know if you want to know what a monkey brain is, but a monkey brain is a brain that never stops, right? So um, if I sat down with my family at dinner or to watch television um, and I had a problem at work, it would, um, you know, I'd just be, layer the monkey in my mind would just be off with that problem trying to solve it. So sometimes I wouldn't be present. I could sit down and watch TV, wouldn't see anything of the TV show because I am... Um, you know, I've got this monkey brain that just keeps running. So I think learning and understanding your mind, which I did through mental health, um, I, I'm not great at meditation. Meditation's fantastic, and I encourage people to do it for their mental health. I can't do it because my monkey brain's too active. And people say, well, you know, that's the whole thing. You can learn that. And I say, yeah, but sometimes we don't have time to learn it. So I know that reading, for me, is my meditation. I know that cooking, for me, is my meditation. So if I cook a meal, 
for me, it's like meditating. Um, you know, doing something physical is really important for me. Swimming's sort of J- like J- my nirvana. Okay, so can I just jump in there? Because a lot of people, meditation, especially in people are not really too familiar. It's getting more and more. But so when you talk about cooking and reading, what I'm taking from that is it's what it is. It's a it's an activity that focuses your mind. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, actually relaxes your mind. Relaxes so it's the mind. opposite, Anthony. So if your computer breaks down, right, it freezes on you, and you ring the IT guy, what does he tell you to do? First thing he tells you to do. Turn it off. Yeah, exactly. Turn it off. Let it cool down a bit and re-plug it in. 99% of the time, does that work? Yeah, majority of the time it does. Read yeah, exactly, computer. exactly. But what, what, we, what we don't do with our brains is we don't do that, right? So we're in this very hectic life. You know, before our parents used to go home at 5 o'clock at night and they go back to work at 7 o'clock the next morning, right? They'd go home on the weekends, they'd go... They'd, they'd leave on a Friday, they'd go back to work on a Monday morning. You know, with modern society, we have more inputs in one day, right, than they had in a lifetime 100 years ago. So you as a coach, when you're driving home from, uh, from training, does your phone ring with a problem? Yeah, it doesn't stop, yeah. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop, right? So we are always on. So our brains need to... Just like the computer, we need to unplug it and plug it in. And you need to know every single day how much time you need to unplug that computer. And you need to know what it is that unplugs your computer. If it's yoga, go for it. If it is um, going for a run, go for it. If it is um, meditation, you've got to find that. For me, it's reading, going for a walk or a swim, um, cooking, you know, so you've got to find those things and you've got to do them religiously every single day so that you're at your best. And the other thing is also sleeping. You know, you've got to be able to get up in the morning and be rested and ready to go again because you need a hell of a lot of energy, especially if you're coaching, to um, walk into a change room and you've got, you know, 25 players and, and 10 staff that you need to be in charge of. So you need that energy. So if you're not sleeping then that's really going to affect your performance. And if you're a coach, I, I, I don't think I've met too many coaches that don't care. I don't think I've met too many coaches that aren't very, very passionate of what they do. So often that, that can bring mental health um, in its own right. So because you care so much, you're lying awake at night trying to solve problems, right? Or you're not sleeping or you're sleeping five hours a night because you're working. So, you know, that... Switching on and switching off is fundamental, is absolutely fundamental to you having that energy every day. And that is easier said than done, you know? JK, I want to I finish on this. I, when, I, when I was in New Zealand and actually we, we met and I was fortunate enough, JK, then to get to know you and spend a lot of time with you and even come into your environment at the Blues and I was so impressed and I've said this to you quite a lot of times sure many many other people have um that uh, you know i almost want to ask you now when are you going to get back involved in coaching but 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 the reason but the reason the reason i'm saying this jk is one because i've because you're 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 an absolute giant in the game of rugby but also 
with all your knowledge and experience um, about the game, but also your experience in, in mental health and understanding not only yourself, but elite athletes, young players, young people, I just sit here and I think you, you're, you're, you're wasted. You're not, you're not wasted, but I'm, that you, could, you would be absolutely unbelievable with all this knowledge now as a, you know, back involved as a coach. So my question is, because I really believe uh, relationships... Um, more so than ever now, I believe this more than ever, relationships as a coach, relationships with your players, with your staff is one of the most important things. So if you were to coach now, if you were to go back in now, and it may happen, you never know, um, what, what do those relationships look like to you? How, how would you would you do things differently now with your, with your player-coach relationships? How would you really build those relationships, show, show that you care for the players, really, really get inside the players' minds, really support them. Would you, would now with all this experience, would you approach the job differently? Oh, look, I think part of, of, um, you know, losing your job is the hardest and the greatest thing that happens to you because you must look at yourself in the mirror and you must understand where you went wrong. Um, you know, often, I often talk about um, losing your job uh, when you're in that situation. So it's a little bit like um, it's so traumatic, right? So uh, I'll tell you a story about when I lost my job in Italy. So team was, um, you know, when, when I coached them, we won a Six Nations game each season and we didn't win one um, in the third season playing pretty well, still building the team, thought we were, you know, okay. At the end of the Six Nations, the president rings me and sacks me. Um, you know, I cried, man. I cried. And um, I couldn't believe it at the time because I built a new football team. But anyway, so the next uh, little while was an incredibly amazing time for me because it was so traumatic. It was like grieving. So... The first, and I'll just put these in days, but the, the, so don't take the days as a time frame because it was weeks. First thing I did is I actually rang my dad. My dad was still alive, you know, and, and I said, um, I can't believe it, Dad, you know, I just cannot believe it. And he said, um, oh, well, son, um, why'd you get the sack? And I said, well, I don't know, Dad. And he said, well, take some time and then you need to find out why you got the sack. And I thought that was... That was really, really interesting. And the second thing he said to me was, you make sure in the next three or four days you thank the Italians and the chairman of and the president of, of Italy and you make sure that you thank everyone for the opportunity because you've had a great time. And I, fight, I felt like telling him to F off. You know, the whole, the whole president, the whole of Italy, the whole bloody nation, I felt like telling him to F off. I was hurting so much. But it was great advice from my dad. So for the next four days during the press conferences and all the articles, you know, um, you know, people were coming to me and sort of trying to get a story. And I just incredibly thanked the president at the time and I thanked the players and I thanked the Italian um, federation for the great time that I had. It had been a great three years, which was actually true. It's just that I was in so much pain that I couldn't see that. So I went through that. And the most amazing thing was when I got through that, the president rang me 10 days later and said, oh, JK, I'd just like to thank you for the way you acted during the time. I couldn't believe it, you know. He was a guy that 
I couldn't believe that he'd sacked me to start with, and then he rings me and thanks me for the way I acted. And my 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 dad's advice pops into my head, and I said, "Oh, President, I'd just like to know why you sacked me." And he laughed, and he said, "Well, why don't you come and have lunch in a couple of weeks, right?" So, what happened was, and then I'll get back to the lunch with the president. The first day, I couldn't believe it, Anthony. I thought they were going to ring me and tell me it was a joke, that um, you know it's just a joke, haha come back tomorrow. I thought all the players reach out, would reach out and say, no, he's a great coach, we want him to stay and put some pressure on. That didn't happen. Then the second day, like I say, don't, don't worry about time frames. For example, the second day, I got angry. Right? So if them, you know, the players don't care, the, you know, the president doesn't know what he's talking about. So all this anger came in and I was really defensive, you know, and I realised that that wasn't a good emotion either. So the first time was, couldn't believe it, but you had to. Second was, I was really, really angry, um, saying, bugger them. And then the, th the third sort of emotion was, um, I'm no good. Why did I coach in the first place? I can't believe this. I should never have coached. I'm kidding myself. I'm wasting my time. I was never any good. So all that self-doubt came flooding back in. And then the, the, the sort of fourth emotion that came around was, JK, you need to make peace with those things and you need to understand what is true and what is false. Um, because I'd, I'd had some of the best results ever. The team had played some of the best, but I was saying I'm useless, so I need to give the game up. So anyway, morph yourself a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm sitting down with the president. And anyway, Italian president, I actually really liked him, but he was very Italian, so you had to have a three-hour lunch and just talk about a whole lot of different stuff that he wanted to talk about before you got... <laughs> before you got down to the real real nitty-gritty. So anyway, um, around dessert time, three hours later, I said, oh, so, President, why did you sack me? And he said, well, it's interesting, JK, because the players really loved you. Um, they were really, really happy with you. Um, the team was actually playing pretty well. Um, but we thought you are an asshole, and we make the decision. <laughs> and so what, what I learned from that was I also had to manage up. So I was managing my team, I was managing the players, but I actually wasn't managing the president and the committee because I just thought they were, you know, didn't need to know what I was doing. They just wanted results. And that was, that was a really, really big learning from, from, from uh, you know, from my Italian experience. If I morph you forward to the blues, um, the same thing happened. You know, I got, I got the sack, I couldn't believe it, I cried. Um, felt like a failure. First day, I couldn't believe it. Second day, same thing. Got angry. Players aren't good enough. JK, you know, can I, can I just, JK, can I just jump in here just to just to give people listening here the you, you're you're coaching the Auckland Blues. You know, one of the biggest clubs in New Zealand. You, you're you're you know a famous person in New Zealand, and and from you know my experience when I was there, you, you couldn't get you couldn't get away from fans, the club, like everywhere you went. This is the results. The job, so so now you're saying you lost your job, but I, I mean that's a big part of it, Jay. That's that's tough to handle when you're in among you're living there in amongst the whole thing. Yeah, and and it was my dream job, Anthony. So you know the Blues had been really poor for ten years. Um, I felt I could turn them round. It was a job I aspired to. Uh, it was a job I wanted, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but I failed, you know, and, and if I come back to that word failure, when you get the sack, that's what you keep thinking about. 
And so, but the same process happened. I couldn't believe it. I was really, really angry. Then I went through the self-doubt and, you know, and at the end of that discussion, you know, talking about getting back into coaching again, um, I just felt that I didn't want to coach anymore. I didn't want to put myself through um, those emotions anymore. The learnings, I reckon if I had of um, coached again very quickly, then I would have been a 10 times better coach from what I'd learned from the Blues. I mean, it's really interesting that the two coaches before me, um, you know, Joe Smith went on to coach Ireland and, um, you know, Pat Lamb is one of the most decorated coaches in Europe. They both um, coached the Blues before me. So the learnings that you get from that sort of failure, I think, like you mentioned, set you up to be a better coach. And I think that it was a personal decision um, on reflection, thinking about, you know, what do I care more about at the moment? Do I care about coaching or do I care more about mental health? And I'm like you, Anthony, I never say never. Um, you know, I could end up coaching again, but right now I've got this passion to turn around the stats in our country and also, you know, with Mentimere, we want to help hundreds of millions of people with our mental health um, tool. So that's, that's my rugby at the moment. That's what gets me out of bed. You know, I have the same passion and same commitment towards it. But the learnings that I got from the Blues probably, well, I do know, would have made me a much, much better coach for my next job. Well, Jake, I have to say I'm absolutely so inspired by your your life, your work. Uh, I know in, in, in the world of soccer, mental health is really opening up. And I hope this this talk can help in some way. Uh, so just uh, your your foundation is called, the website is Sir JK Foundation. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JK Foundation. But I'm really keen, Anthony, to do some work in the in the world of football and the world of sport. Part of Mentimere, which is the commercial product, one, things that, one thing that we want to do is I want to create a world-class, world-changing product for professional sports people. Um, we, you and I, as professionals in our game and our respective games, cannot expect cannot accept that people are finishing their careers bust, you know, broke, um, you know, depressed. We 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 need to eliminate that from our our, our games collectively are, are too beautiful and too life changing for people who sit there and watch it. I mean, it's. You know, you know how beautiful it is. Let's talk about the good side of sport. You know yeah. how beautiful it is when a when a, a stadium full of stand, fans come. They can feel the energy and the commitment of the players. The team wins. You know, you have forty, fifty thousand people go home happy. You know, yeah. um, we can't let our players play a career of inspiring people. And you know, for a lot of people, football is their um, unplugging in of, of the computer, right? So for a lot of people, they're coming to the games on the weekend because it's part of their relaxation. They love it. And so we can't let one of our players, no matter what level, from, you know, and in football, it's much bigger than, um, than, than, than rugby. So, you know, you've got people earning $100,000 a week, right? Right down to $2,000 a week. But mental health is not prejudice, Anthony. We need to make sure that we leave no one behind. So that's my passion at the moment, to try and get an understanding and, and make sure we eliminate this illness. Because um, it's an illness that kills, mate. It's an illness that kills. And that um, and I, I want to try and turn that around. So that's 
that's coaching for me at the moment. <laughs> right. Well, JK, is there, is there, I know you've got a website for the, the JK Foundation. Is there a website for this as well? Yeah, there is, um, but I'll probably get back in touch with you, Anthony. Um, the, the, the JK Foundation is, um, I've got some very good friends of mine who have been successful. Um, they're supporting it at the moment. So, um, that yeah, you go into the JK Foundation, you'll find that online. Mentimia, um, you know, we're really going to be hitting um, in February and March next year. So, what I'd love to do is um, I'll come visit you. Great. Well, I hope that we, when are you getting back into the game, mate? When am I going to see you? Any you know, day, any day. Love man, and just... follow you with a passion after our friendship. So yeah. hopefully, um, you know, I'll be seeing you on the sidelines again. Well, listen, JK, that's going to happen. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment. But um, I have to say, I'd die to see you back on the sidelines as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come and stand with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, listen, that'll, Jack, that'll do me. That'll do yeah. me. I mean, I love you, you know how much I love football. My my son plays in in Europe, and I just think it's an amazing game, and it has the ability to change um, the world. So I also want to use sport to make sure that we, you know, sports people, and a lot more sports people are standing up and talking about their mental health. Anthony, you and I have spoken about it. You and I have spoken about, you know, our our respective coaching and playing. Um, careers if we had a known back then what we know now we probably would have been you know so much better as as players and coaches so i mean you know mental health is something that we need to um you know we need to put to the forefront because i think it's the difference i absolutely agree with that jakey i just want to thank you for your time your honesty your openness really appreciate no problem i'm looking forward to catching up for a for, for a, another discussion at some stage, hopefully in person. And yeah. I wish you luck, mate. I know how hard you worked as well here with, uh, with the New Zealand side, your, your passion, your commitment um, to our, to our um, jersey was amazing. And I, I always enjoyed working with you, mate. So I wish you luck. I appreciate that, JK. I appreciate that. Thank you.